Chapter two, forgiveness in the workplace. The weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. An eye for an eye will only make the whole world blind. Gandhi. Webster's New World College Dictionary states that to forgive is to give up resentment against the desire to punish, stop being angry with, pardon, or to give up all claim to punish or exact penalty for an offense to overlook. What key words from that definition do you think the most significant? Why? Any words you would add to this definition? Forgiving others and asking for forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice, not an emotion. If we wait until we feel like forgiving someone, it's likely not to happen. In his book, Trusting You Are Loved, Practices for Partnership, Lou Epstein had this to say about forgiveness. We are, by forgiving, in essence, granting complete absolution and redemption. We relinquish our right to punish, cling to resentments, and hold grudges. We give each other and ourselves permission to move on, free of baggage and history, able to progress without the burdens of the past. Forgiveness fosters our well-being when we know that no matter what happens, we will forgive and be forgiven. In an environment of love and forgiveness, we thrive. What key words from the above statement do you think are the most significant? Why? Any words or thoughts you might add? General thoughts of forgiveness being a choice, not an emotion? The biggest mistake we make when it comes to forgiveness is thinking that forgiveness is for the benefit of the offending party. Forgiveness of others is a gift we give ourselves. Hate consumes vast amounts of time and energy. The mental energy of reliving it in our minds, the regular retelling it to anyone who will listen, the mood swings. Ever wonder why our friends and family scatter when you walk into the room knowing you'll most likely rehash the past? While we're replaying all this in our minds with our family, friends, and associates, the offending party, in most cases, is unaware of the punishment we are inflicting on ourselves. Forgiveness releases you from a self-made prison where you are both the inmate and the jailer. How many old grudges and with whom you are carrying around in your mind and heart? What actions could you take to start forgiveness and reconciliation? Will you? If so, when and how? If not, why not? Forgiveness reduces anger, hurt, depression, and stress while increasing greater feelings of optimism, hope, compassion, and self-confidence. Stanford researcher and author Dr. Frederick Luskin offers the following suggestions in his nine steps to forgiveness. Number one, know exactly how you feel about what happened. I credit my friend and personal coach, Skip Worth, for assisting me with this step and providing the seven characteristics of stress-resistant people. You'll hear from Skip in chapter seven. Number two, 
Make a commitment to yourself to do what you must do to feel better. Becoming empowered versus overpowered. Number three, understand your goal. Hint, to find peace, to get closure, to move on. Number four, get the right perspective on what's happening. Recognize your primary distress is most likely coming from the hurt feelings, thoughts, and physical upset you are suffering now, not what offended you or the hurt in the past. Number five, the moment you feel upset, practice stress management to soothe your body's flight or fight response, like exercising, volunteering, yoga, etc. Number six, manage your expectations from other people. Number seven, put your energy into looking for another way to get your positive goals met. Instead of mentally playing out your hurt, seek new ways to get what you want. Step number eight, remember that a life well lived is your best revenge. Number nine, amend your grievance story to remind you of the power you possess to create a better story. I changed my internal story from I got screwed, lost a steady salary, retirement, to, hey, I've got more freedom, more control, greater purpose, no salary caps, flexibility, and I love working for myself. Forgiveness is not a one-and-done scenario. Each day, you might have to throw it away. Asking for forgiveness. A big part of the problem is that most of us don't know how to forgive or apologize. Sadly, this is not something we learn in school or from our parents. Sure, we may have heard our parents say, Greg, say you're sorry for pushing your sister, but a sincere, heartfelt apology was rare in these situations. Growing up, my parents' discussions would occasionally turn into heated arguments. It usually ended with my father saying something offensive to my mother, followed by a deafening silence for several hours, if not days. I don't remember ever hearing my father formally apologizing to my mother. Consequently, I never learned how to do it myself. And I'm ashamed to say, until I started doing research for this book, I really didn't realize how to ask for forgiveness from another person. But credit to my parents and grandparents. No matter how many arguments, problems, and in general, tough times they experience, my parents and grandparents didn't abandon the relationship during the storm stage. Now, I'm not suggesting that certain relationships shouldn't be abandoned during a storm stage. They should. But like teams and organizations, personal relationships go through predictable stages of growth. Form, storm, norm, perform. I give great credit to my parents and grandparents for what they taught me about staying together for better or for worse, even in the storm stage. I use my wife and myself as examples. We married and started a family pretty quickly, the form stage. Children, finances, general life issues, in general, quickly propelled us into the storm stage. Now that we've been married nearly 30 years, I would say learning how to argue, resolve conflict, and move on as quickly as possible is the key to the longevity of our marriage. I'm sure there were times both my wife and I questioned, is this worth it? Now our children are grown up and have homes of their own. We're empty nesters. Translation, we're starting to norm 
with more time to focus on each other as opposed to taking care of our children. I jokingly say that soon we'll be holding hands, wearing matching tennis shoes, and those sweatshirts walking at the mall. Translation, we'll be at the perform stage. Key point, if possible, don't abandon the relationship during the storm stage, as norm could be right around the corner with forgiveness and reconciliation, key factors in your journey. Customizing forgiveness. We look and approach life out of four windows of the world. These windows, covered in Chapter 7, are called social styles. When we consider forgiveness, one social style should be, but rarely is, carefully considered and factored into forgiveness and reconciliation. The drivers, they're bottom line focused. If they decide to forgive, it usually occurs more quickly than other social styles as they're ready to move on. The analyticals, often focused on building a case for forgiveness, outlining the steps that led up to the conflict, as well as a play-by-play -play of what just happened. Analyticals can often find it hard to forgive, much less reconcile until they can solve the problem. Unfortunately, this approach delays, if not prevents, forgiveness and reconciliation. My coaching tip to analyticals is this. The problem may not be capable of being solved, but this shouldn't prevent forgiveness and reconciliation. The expressives, more excited, animated, and agitated about the potential for forgiveness. They're open with emotions, more outwardly. They let the world know what precipitated forgiveness. This style may very well have the greatest need for closure and seek creative strategies to achieve that forgiveness and reconciliation. The aimables. They're the most emotionally, more inwardly, and afraid of getting hurt and being let down. Reestablishing trust will be difficult with this style. They may forgive, but rarely forget. And words hurt aimables more so than other styles. Unrealistic expectations. Each social style has unrealistic expectations that could provincially be a catalyst for the need to forgive, to be forgiven, to delay or even prevent reconciliation. The drivers, their unrealistic expectation is to always be in control and never out of control. The analyticals, to always be right, always be able to solve the problem, never be wrong and have the offender fully understand the damage that has been done. Expressives, to always be heard, to always be seen and never unnoticed by anyone. Think we need to fight it out now in order to resolve the problem. The aimables, to always be liked and never disliked by anyone, to never be let down. The anatomy of an apology. I'm a big fan of Dr. Gary Chapman, author of the New York Times bestselling series, The Five Love Languages. He's a pastor, a counselor, and travels the world presenting his seminars. His radio programs air hundreds of stations. He has a passion for people and helping them form lasting relationships. Interestingly, both have applications to the harmonic workplace. In my consulting practice, I assist organizations and their human resources with managing the business while leading its people. Having been hired by a great leader and fired by a great manager, I agree with Warren Bennett's comment that most organizations are overmanaged and underled. It's dead on. 
If you know, you can manage. And if you love, you can lead. When these crucial elements are present, it's the best of both worlds and promotes a healthy business. Knowing includes understanding key business principles and the inner workings of your organization and industry. Loving includes what Dr. Gary Chapman outlines in the five love languages. Number one, gifts in the form of rewards for performance or just simply a gift for gift's sake. A former boss of mine gave me a bag tag from the Masters Golf Tournament simply because he knew I was an avid golfer. I was thrilled. Number two, quality time. Spend time with your employees. Your employees need and want to see you. Number three, touch. Not necessarily physical, but metaphoric pats on the back and recognition for a job well done. Number four, words of affirmation. Praising employees and giving positive reinforcement. Number five, acts of service. Servant leadership. Perhaps senior leadership grilling burgers Friday afternoon for all the employees. Dr. Chapman's latest book, The Five Language of Apology, How to Experience Healing in All of Your Relationships, has strong business applications as well. Alarmingly, his research finds 10% of the population never apologizes. My thinking is the other 90% are not telling the truth and don't know how to apologize as well. Combined with the five love languages, the following steps will make us better people and our organizations better places to work. The five language of apology. Number one, express regret. I'm sorry may be the right words to use, but it is not in there unless you say why you're sorry. Chapman and Thomas suggest that we add specific reason for the apology. For instance, I'm sorry I didn't give you the appropriate credit for the work you did on the redesign of our billing system. Chapman warns against blaming others. For instance, engineering never told me about your work on this and cautions about using the word but. I would have recognized you at the awards banquet, but I was last on the agenda and we were already running late. Have you heard about the editors for an online dictionary who were having trouble defining the word but? And after much disagreement and frustration, they finally settled on this definition. Disregard all previous information. Step number two, accept responsibility. I'm sorry I didn't give you the appropriate credit for the work you did on the redesign of our billing system. I was wrong. Step number three, genuine repentance, expressing the desire to change. I'm sorry I didn't give you the appropriate credit for the work you did on the redesign of our billing system. I was wrong. What can I do to make this up to you? What can I do to make this right? For instance, Nick, I'll be honest. This is not something I'm good at, and I sincerely ask your help in making sure I don't make this mistake again, not only with you, but others in our department. Step number four, making restitution. I'm sorry I didn't give you the appropriate credit for the work you did on our redesign of the billing system. I was wrong. What can I do to make this up to you? What can I do to make this right? And then lastly, step number five, requesting forgiveness. I'm sorry I didn't give you the appropriate credit for the work you did on the redesign of our billing system. I was wrong. What can I do to make this up to you? What can I do to make this right? Nick, 
I'll be honest. This is something I'm not very good at. Will you please forgive me? Again, I apologize. Once you ask for forgiveness, especially if the other person forgives you, stop asking. This sounds logical, but I'm guilty of this behavior and must conclude it's a very human response. I was indirectly responsible for a partner losing a client. I apologized and he accepted, but I continued to feel guilty and kept saying that I was sorry. Frustrated, my partner finally said, Greg, it's over. Please stop saying you're sorry. Asking customers, both internal and external customers, for forgiveness. The recovery process. The word recovery means to return to normal, to get things back in balance and in good health. And that's exactly what's needed, not only when we drop the ball with customers, but when strife is brewing and erupts inside the workplace. Organizations have internal customers and they have external customers. These internal customers are employees, individual humans who suffer the same hurt feelings as customers and vendors who epitomize our traditional external relationships. The following steps to recovery were identified by Ron Zimke in his bestseller, Delivering Knock Your Socks Off Service, and apply to both external and internal customers. The recovery process. Step number one, an apology. While a simple I'm sorry diffuses an angry customer in most situations, a legitimate explanation is usually the first thing out of our mouths and may be interpreted as an excuse. You don't understand. I had three warehouse employees calling sick this morning versus I'm sorry. I will personally deliver your generator this afternoon. Step number two, urgent reinstatement. Bottom line, fix the problem quickly and fairly. Keyword, urgent. Step number three, symbolic atonement, if possible. Waive the service fee, give the customer a discounted rate or a nice gift. And remember that a handwritten note would stun today's customer. Something to really let the customer know you're sorry and expressing thanks for their business. Step number four to recovery, follow-up. Add a pleasant extra to the recovery sequence by following up within a few hours, days, or weeks later to make sure things were, were resolved to your customer's satisfaction. Don't assume you fixed the problem. Check to be sure. Ironically, these customers may be more loyal to you now based on the way you listened to their issues and recovered their trust. Again, I can tell how most organization treats their external customers by how they treat their internal customers. Second Chances. Hoosiers is one of my favorite movies. Based on a true story, Coach Norman Dale, played by Gene Hackman, took a fledgling high school basketball team from storm to perform, ultimately winning the Indiana State Championship. Teams go through predictable stages of team growth. Form, storm, norm, and perform. One of my favorite scenes is when Coach Norman Dale starts the rehabilitation and redemption of one of his players' father, Shooter Flatch, the town drunk, portrayed by Dennis Hopper. Coach Dale quickly learns of Shooter Flatch basketball stardom as a former high school player and coach. Understandably, Shooter is an, an embarrassment to his son, often showing up to games visibly intoxicated. Shooter's behavior is creating a distraction for his son what author Alan Fine would call mental interference. His son, a key player on the team, and Coach Dale must act fast. In a redemptive moment, 
Coach Dale recruits Shooter as an assistant coach and firmly demands sobriety. Brilliantly, Coach Dale senses Shooter's lack of confidence during the first game as Coach Dale's assistant and demands that the referee throw me out. The referee reluctantly obliges and Coach Dale walks out of the gym, a brilliant plan to build confidence. The look on Shooter's face is pure horror. After a few tense minutes, Shooter rises to the occasion, his confidence restored, and redemption achieved as he boldly calls the play that won the game. Run the picket fence. Don't get caught watching the paint drive, boys. Great movie, but the key question remains. Have we given the shooter flashes in our personal and business lives a second chance? Or do we continue labeling that person forever? Everyone deserves a second chance, and I believe their recovery and redemption often is in our hands. As leaders, are we creating and fostering a strong culture of forgiveness, reconciliation, and redemption, or not? Forgiving yourself. Yesterday is heavy. Put it down. Forgiveness begins with our ability for self-forgiveness. According to Tom Rutledge, author of The Self-Forgiveness Handbook, the first part of any conflict we must first resolve is not between me and my neighbor, but between me and me. Forgiveness is not only the greatest gift you can give others, it's also the greatest, most powerful gift you can give yourself. Who is it that you need to forgive? Yourself. Forgiven me. After my anger, resentment, and finger-pointing, I eventually started asking, what did I contribute to the problem? And specifically, what impact did all of this have on my family? No pension, no retirement, no 401k, and no stability for my family. To name only a few things I threw away when I decided to make a public stand with Richard, was it worth it? Was it worth the guilt and regret which remained inside of me for way too long? Finally, I accepted that true forgiveness and reconciliation were impossible without forgiving myself. I eventually forgave myself, but my story pales in comparison to what follows, a story of bravery in the midst of a heated battle. Thank you, Colonel Fred Johnson, for your service, for your bravery and your courage. But most of all, thank you for all that you're doing now to help courageous men and women who have served our country, who have suffered and are now on the road to recovery. Considered an expert in human behavior and organizational dynamics, Greg Coker is the author of Building Cathedrals, The Power of Purpose, and The Soft Skills Field Manual, The Unwritten Rules for Succeeding in the Workplace. Greg's website is gregcokerdevelopment.com. He can be reached at 270-223-8343.